Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu, la'asok b'divrei Torah, v'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, b'finu ufi amka b'et Yisrael, v'nieh anachnu v'tzeetzeinu v'tzeetzei amka b'et Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka v'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai, Amen. <laughs> Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in the matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me, and may I not say regarding something which is to may that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore that it is to may, and may my colleagues not stumble in the matter of Torah and I rejoice over them, for Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Avail my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. We want Mashiach now. Well, got my voice back, Baruch Hashem. Last week, Shlomo held it down. So <laughs> together we shall, Bezrat Hashem. Head into Parsha Vayeshev. This is my Torah portion. Super excited. Uh, lots of good things in this Torah portion. And as our fellow Haver and uh, Torah study leader, uh, Yosef, has shared, uh, he was speaking about this being about Mashiach ben Yosef. Uh, this Torah portion, uh, Parsha Miketz, and uh, on through the rest of Bereshit. So, or uh, yes, the first book of, yeah, Bereshit. Then we're gonna get into Shemot. So anyway, without further ado, I'll hand it over to Shemot. Amen. Yes, indeed. So rumination nine, where will the righteous spend eternity? In heaven. Dun, dun, dun. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Love it. This really does deal with more of the Neo-Platonistic thought that we find in Christian theology. Yeah, um, particularly the rapture doctrine. Mm. Um, the thing I see that most believers seem to gloss over, theologians, is the fact that we were created in a physical universe. That we were created here. On earth. After everything Hashem created, He placed us here. So 
<laughs> can we truly live in heaven as they keep maintaining? Wow. Were we created for that purpose? First say law of night. <laughs> is that really ever taken into consideration though like what you just mentioned i have never heard it dealt with before not until i got to this rumination and i had to sit and think about it and then i had to read the tanakh yeah and then i realized there are a number of verses that tell us where we will be. But, but, you know, when we exclaim, we want Mashiach now, right? Well, yeah. I would add to that, I want to be where he is. And where is Mashiach going to be? Where is his kingdom going to be? More questions. Because the answers are in the questions. Mm -hmm. If you just know where to look. Um, so are we going to start with uh, Yochanan 17? Uh, the priestly prayer. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. 14. Yes. Where it says in verse 2, Pasuk, it says, in my father's house. Oh. Oh, the Beit HaMikdash. <laughs> there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, what I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, this is verse three. I will come again and take you to myself. This is, this is exactly what you just said. It says, so that where I am, you may also be. Key verse, number four. And you know the way to where I am going. That's the answer to the rumination question. <laughs> At least that's what my thoughts were when you said that. Yep. I like what he says at the beginning. Don't let yourselves be disturbed. Mm. Trust in God and trust in me. Mm. Big deal right there. Notice who he says trust in first. And guess who repeats these words? Shaul and Thessalonians. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, Toma, uh, in verse 5 of Yochanan 14, Toma said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? This reminds me of when they asked him about the bread incident. He's like, who gave him bread? <laughs> Remember when he was with the woman at the well? <laughs> and that's when Yeshua says, 
Anoki ha derag Veha imet feha kaim. See, I start with that. <laughs> so, no Torah is the way to get there. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, and we know the Father is the Torah. Mm. He's not speaking anything different here. Um, wow. Get in Torah. So this is crazy because most people think I want to go to heaven, but yet Hashem is like, yeah, so get in the Torah. <laughs> that brings up another point. Where was the Torah given? Wow. Because you think about it, the, the commentary by Midbar, it says the Torah was given in an honorless place in the wilderness. In the Kabbalah, it is the descending Atzmus and the ascending Yesh. Moshe ascended Sinai, but it was still here on earth. It's Hashem that told Moshe in Exodus 19, in three days I will descend upon the mount. It was at that time that he gave the Torah, that he spoke. The beginning of his revelation. Yeah. Here on earth. From, the world, of, from the world of emanation, the world of Atsilut, the Atik Yomim. So remember how the sages talk about the Torah is not in heaven, it's here on earth. Uh-huh. No. And so that's how we're able to make the Laka. That's actually binding, or when the Sanhedrin was here, we did that. Mm -hmm. But I also think about Sulam Yaakov, because really that's the ultimate picture is heaven and earth united. And Sulam and Sinai have the same gematria, 130. Right. So. Oh my goodness, because that's Adam and Yaakov. The 130 years to come. Where is it? <laughs> wow. Okay. Beautiful. And we know that Yaakov made rectification for the 130 illicit years of Adam HaRishon, according to the Arizal. Yeah. Because... Those are 130 difficult years for Yaakov. The last 17 were Tov. Good. So, the other thing is, you know, they keep maintaining, oh, we're going to be in heaven, you know. And yet, can you reside with the Ain Sof? Wow. The infinite nothing. See, such statements are devoid of the understanding of who and what Hashem is. Yep. And that is, <clears throat> it's an act of zimsum, the fact that we're here. Uh, the morning prayers, uh, Shanae Amar, 
Baruch Sheyamar, blessed is he who spoke, blessed is he who maintains creation, blessed is he who has mercy on the creatures, and so forth. All that's here. He maintains creation. Why would he take us out of it? Even in the world to come, it would, it would be here. So and the whole this. world being transformed into Israel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Traditional Christianity has never said anything differently. In most Christians' minds, there has always been about heaven. But does the Bible actually say that? No, it does not. Ironically, it is... Greek mythology that promotes this notion. Christianity seems to have adopted it as part of the Hellenization of the followers of Messiah in the second century. So Christian theology really has become the epitome of what we fought against during Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Wow. The other thing is in their evangelistic attempts to get Jews to convert to Christianity, that is nothing more than a form of syncretism. My goodness. Still fighting the Greeks. <laughs> mm -hmm, to this day. Yeah, and yes, folks, Hanukkah is a week away. Get you some. Greek mythology, huh? Yep. And Greek mythology has all those gods up there in Olympus, some sky place, you know. We all grew up with those myths. Oh, yeah. Heaven. I, the gods in heaven. You know, all Zeus and all them, you know. I, <laughs> wow. Good night. Getting a very disturbing image. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I have that dichotomy in my head since I first went over this rumination. I said, I had to ask myself the question. I had to be really honest with myself. I said, are they really willing to tell the truth? And 30 years of being in Pentecost, the answer to that question, it's just simply no. Takes courage takes being willing to lose things let go of things that you know are lies you know you know using it as a security blanket theologically speaking of course but historicity that's another matter that's even more disquieting yeah it's like you can't change reality you can't change facts i mean i guess you can you can be oblivious to it Stick your head in the sand, but that can only last for so long. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I I'd rather face the truth of a situation than go on yeah. sticking my head in the sand, you know. And I'm glad I did, you know. Yeah. Um me too. Because people are so programmed. You know, it's like in uh Kabbalah of the Adamic Messiah, you know, this um 
alien code got into the her perfectly hermetically sealed laboratory of Ghani Dan, and it shifted our consciousness to a reality wow. that was not our own. Yeah. I think, wow. was it you and I that did this, or at least on one of the podcasts um, on uh, Shummerman uh, Anchor, that uh, we were talking about what normal is. And normal is Shabbat is the seventh day of the week. Normal is eating kosher. Normal is celebrating Sukkot and, you know, all the biblical holidays. That's normal. You know, and so it's just crazy to think about the, the fact that so much of what people are taught, especially believers in the Messiah, is alien code. It's a vote of zero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, I'm just thinking about where I'm at in this book. Um, um, have you ever seen the Tron movies at all? Because that's a good, good no, example. I've, I've watched the fight scenes. Um, Tron Legacy is, is, is really good. Um, Jeff Bridges, who plays um, Kevin Flynn, who designed this system, but in this, in the 2009 film, which is the sequel to the 1983 film, yeah, he spends a lot of his time on the grid, as it is termed. Hmm. And it's a brand new system. And so what he does, he brings Tron from the old system, which is the security program. And then he creates Clue, codified likeness utility. Only problem was Clue decided to stage a little mutiny. A little coup, uh, coup but before go. this happened, before this happened, he, they're in kind of this wasteland that's outside the city, if you will. And these, and these other programs, nothing like a program, but what called isomorphic algorithms emerged and manifested in the wasteland like flowers in the desert. And he, and Flynn's telling his son, Sam, who managed to get in. Mm -hmm. And he had to deal with Clue, you know, had to fight his way out of there. Yes, he did. And so he meets up with his father. At a, I guess you could call it a retreat. And so Kevin Flynn begins to explain to him what has happened. But his encounter with the ISOs turned out to be one of the most profound moments in the film. The DNA of their root code could do away with disease. Mm. Every, man, every idea that man has had about the universe up for grabs, you know, bio-digital jazz. <laughs> mm -hmm. But Clue staged a coup and seized control, and he wiped out the ISOs in a genocidal act. He viewed them as imperfection. Misinterpreting Kevin Flynn's desire of creating a utopian-like system where everyone 
you know, would be enlightened, but this is what we hit. This is what has happened since the garden. You know, is this really good? Is it really bad that we're dealing with? Mm. You know, is, is what the Nakash did really evil? Classified as evil. He deals with that in this book, you know, the, the Kabbalah of the Adamic Messiah. You know, what we perceive to be good and evil but getting back to the point about, you know, where are we going to be? Yeah. Is that this reality that's been created is like the matrix. We've been plugged yep. into it. We don't we even really know. We are in the matrix right now. <laughs> this isn't the real thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the... the reality that Hashem created prior to Adam's dimensional collapse from the hypercube right, down to the three-dimensional cube, mm -hmm. which does not permit us to even comprehend the hypercube, the 4D. But when you have the 70 faces, yeah, that gives us, a, yeah, there. the 70 faces of the Torah, you know, Shebapim, give us a silhouette of the 4D. Yeah, yeah. So, which, by the way, I'm looking forward to the reading that book. <laughs> Get you some. <laughs> I um, sent the email and said, hey, Rabbi, it's been 10 days. <laughs> Can you send it to this address, to these two people? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know how we're created in the image of God. He talks about, um, yeah, he says here on page 76 of the Kabbalah of the Adamic Messiah, aside from the fractal spark of the original higher dimensional Zalem image of God that dwells in all of us, we are the virus itself. Even very evil people and natural catastrophes have a fractal of Adam's higher dimensional consciousness. Otherwise, where is their life force coming from that the virus is feeding off of? Yeah, because Klepo needs sparks uh -huh. of light in order to exist. It can even draw its energy or its vitality from the sparks of holiness. Yep, it needs it. So evil, when we see it, there's holiness hidden within it. Yeah. So can That's we really can we really call it evil? <laughs> but wow. rather, maybe the more accurate term is contrary Ooh. to the will of Hashem. Contrary to the to, will of Hashem. To Hashem's original intent. This is what the Torah ultimately presents us with. It doesn't have to say that. Okay, this is the world to come. This is what it looks like. No, it is describing the world to come. It is the original code of the wow. consciousness of Adam, Kadmon, manifest in Adam Harishon. Yeah, that's why the Olam Habak is not, ne not necessarily known as the world to come, but the world that is coming. 
like it's being revealed now within this world. Yeah, being revealed in us as each one of us does. This is the real mystical aspect to Teshuvah right here. Get you some, get you some. It's a lot deeper than most people realize. I was reading uh, Rebbe Nachman the other uh, yesterday. Actually, me and Yosef were going over it because I was sharing with him some of the things I've been encountering since I've been studying it. And there is uh, uh, Likute Moran, volume one, six, three, where he talks about Teshuvah based on perception. I mean, we know how David says, you know, in Psalm 51, that my sin is ever before me. Right. How we always say, I've sinned, I've transgressed, you know, I've done evil. But at that particular moment, Rebbe Nachman says, we have to be careful that our heart is not divided in any way. Mm. Otherwise, you will have to repent for your repentance of saying, I have sinned, I have transgressed. It's divided. That is ulterior motives. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, in connection with this, the rapture would seem to be an ulterior motive. Oh, absolutely. So, I'm are they... you know what that ulterior motive is? <laughs> Anti Semitic. <laughs> theology <laughs> because it says all the christians will be taken away and the jews will be left behind what, that's what's suffering? hidden that's hidden in there yeah yeah that, it's that is not cool <laughs> no it's it's not it's again most christians and pastors don't want to face that. They know how disquieting it is. Um, because they're in the klipa of Esau. Mm -hmm. they're, they're like, their eyes are like shrouded, you know. They're not physically, but, you know, spiritually speaking. Fish scales. You know. That's a good analogy, you know, Shaul. Acts mm -hmm. chapter 9. You know, he, when he did Teshuvah that day in Acts 9, and those fish scales came off, he did Teshuvah uh, La Torah. He yeah. didn't start no religion. Nope. And there are some who's, who say that in Acts 11, 17, I believe is where they think it says, and they were first called Christians there. That's incorrect. Right, right. Because even in the Aramaic Peshitta, you have the word Christian. Yeah. That's the Aramaic word for Amim HaDarek, believers get, of the way. Get you some. See, that's what they, that's what those Talmudim saw themselves as. Yeah. Return, because returning who is the way? The way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rashiach just said it, you know, we just read it, uh, Yochanan 14, 
Yeah, in John chapter 5, uh, verse 39, if I remember right, um, I'm coming in my Father's name and you don't receive me. The name is Derek. Get you some. My goodness. Side note, the Jews are called believers and children of believers, which uh -huh. is my mean. And when so, you take someone under your wing and you teach them Torah, they are a B'nai Torah. Uh, Perkei Avol 521, he who leads the people to righteousness. Um, so just a reference on what you mentioned about coming to Father's name, joking on 543. So yeah, there you go. <clears throat> um, but that whole chapter, though, really, <laughs> yeah. Like if you if you just learn Yochanan five, I mean, not that you can ever <laughs> really get Mashiach, but I mean, you'd be doing pretty good if you got that one chapter. <laughs> yeah. And also, I've been studying this lately. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I love that picture you shared with me last week. Oh yeah. Um, what you got for us today? Perky, I vote 521. All right. Whoever leads the people to righteousness, no sin will occur through him. Whoever leads the people to sin will be given no opportunity to repent. You know what? That's in the handbook of Jewish thought. By uh, I, I figured it would be. <laughs> wow. Because they talk about how your uh, shuva is taken away. You forfeit your olam haba is what it's called. Goodness. Heavy. <laughs> Moses was righteous and led the people to righteousness. I mean, I'm reading this within the context of this rumination. Why? Because where are we going to be? Where are we being led to? And where are we leading people to? And others, yes, absolutely. You know, those who you're taking under your wing and you're teaching them Torah. Hmm. So Moses was righteous and led the people to righteousness. The people's righteousness is attributed to him. As it is said, he performed the righteousness of God and his righteous ordinances are with Israel. Devarim 33.21. So wait, wait, wait. There's a passage in the letter to the Romans that talks about the righteousness granted to us in Mashiach. So go back over what you just said with the righteousness. Okay, so whoever leads the people to righteousness, no sin will occur through him. Whoever leads the people to sin will be given no opportunity to repent. Moses was righteous and led the people to righteousness. The people's righteousness is attributed to him. 
as it is said, he performed the righteousness of God and his righteous ordinances are with Israel. Devarim 33.21. Okay, so the people's righteousness is attributed to Moshe, right? Yes. Because he led them in that way. So therefore, if we are found righteous in the Mashiach, that's because the righteousness that he leads us in, you know, it's like the, it's circular, cyclical, right? But Mashiach himself, according to Yermiyahu, Jeremiah, is called uh, Hashem Zidkanan, Hashem our righteousness. So I'm just trying to think of these pieces, putting them together because leading in righteousness causes the people to be righteousness. So therefore the leader is attributed the righteousness of the people. So therefore, if the people are righteous, it's because the leader is leading them in it. So just the whole another uh, picture of why we have to understand that Mashiach Yeshua is leading us in the ways of Torah in order for us to truly be considered righteous. Because sometimes it's like there's the, the, the Christian teaching that righteousness is apart from the Torah. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, Jeremiah 23 and then Romans, still looking for the verse. Oh, it's not even that. It's uh, Second Corinthians five twenty one. Oh, that makes wow. sense. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, expect same that. chapter, same chapter and verse. <laughs> ah, Romans four twenty four. Oh, okay. Wow. So Jeremiah twenty three, with Second Corinthians five, and Romans four. What a combo. <laughs> Oh, and, and don't forget Pirkei, I vote 521. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. Romans 424, they were written also for us who will certainly have our account credited too because we have trusted in him who raised Yeshua, our Lord from the dead. Okay, so what I created was a learning model and this is like a perfect example of how to use this i'm going to share my screen with you even though i know on the audio people won't be able to see this but as a nifty little uh concept of what we just saw how do i do this share screen thing oh share content okay Start three, two, one. So check this out if you can visualize it. So you know how we have the Magen David, right? Can you see that? Okay. 
You yeah. see it? Yeah. Okay. So what I was teaching people is that as you're learning and studying different concepts or different commentaries, you can take like a centralized point and either put it like right here in the middle of something, like in the middle of the, of the magen, like in that open section. And then around it in the triangles, you can put all your different points. So like, for instance, we're talking about righteousness. If you imagine in this open, open section of the magen, write righteousness in there. And then in these little triangles, you can put Pure Kale Vote 521. You can put Jeremiah 23, 6. And another triangle put 2 Corinthians 521. And another one, you know, Romans 424. And the reason why I was uh, thinking that was a good thing is because you can quickly see how interconnected <clears throat> the, uh, the points are that you're studying in order to begin to look at the 70 faces of Torah and also how to fit together the commentaries. And uh, a lot of times it's easier for us in our linear mind to think, oh yeah, these match because they're all saying the same thing, like the Gerizah Shabbat. But even when commentaries contradict, like when Ramban says something, but then Rambam says something else, you can still take those points and put it around it and find out where they actually intersect and where they bring in and fill in the gaps of the tapestry. So anyway, that may be a long way from what we were talking about, but just, sharing with you what I was doing in my head while okay. we're talking about these points because I never thought about righteousness in that regard that it really is the connection of the leader and the followers and, and like the way that the righteousness flows and works so yeah I was listening to uh this podcast the other day um the ethics podcast mm -hmm. by uh, trying to uh, with Rabbi uh, Yaakov Wolb. Wolby? Yeah. Torch guy? Houston? Yeah. I believe so. He's he, yeah, I just sent that to you. So the He's ethics. Insane. And this one, he talks about the last one, his most recent multi-level marketing of mitzvahs. Bro. <laughs> Here's the thing. You teach, you teach somebody Torah. They start doing mitzvahs. Those mitzvahs get credited to you. And they take someone under their wing and it keeps spreading out like a pyramid, so to speak. All those people doing mitzvahs and they keep coming back to you and you're part of the pyramid and you're, the mitzvahs that you do bring credit to someone else. Good night. It brings a... Um, yeah, every mitzvah we do benefits us for all eternity. Our sages reveal to us that each mitzvah creates an advocate who vigorously fights on our behalf and defends us in front of the heavenly court. Hmm. Mitzvahs are great assets to have, 
uh, in this podcast, shameless plug, we discovered that there is a way to to <laughs> game the system to unlock myriads uh, and boatloads of mitzvot for a relatively inexpensive cost. I mean, he was doing the math. I, I'm like, man, so if I can get all those, you know, doing mitzvahs, man, we could bring down some very serious kadusha. Yep. Because that's what it's really all about, you know. Um, <laughs> but again, the point is that we do these mitzvahs here on earth in the physical world. <laughs> nice connection we're not doing it up there in some esoteric heaven I mean we can't live there we were created to live here wow it says in Zechariah and the feet of Messiah was set foot on the Mount of Olives whether that's literal or uh, okay there we go <laughs> so it took Zedek Put it in the middle, like for righteousness. Yeah. Then I put my little verses around it. Nice. So just because uh, what I learned basically before Shabbat was that if you take your studies and put it into what's called a learning model, you want a way to uh, put all of your studies in a nutshell so that you can quickly refer back to it and then go back deeper into what the drosh was or what the commentary you read was things like that so anyway i'm excited about my new toy <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to take over the podcast and share it but yeah. oh no it's quite all right it's nice having you back anyway so that's <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> you know um so <laughs> <laughs> Such a kid, man. Yeah, I'm kind of like a kid in the candy store myself. I mean, I would, I'm just like, <laughs> I just, I, I love Jewish thought. I'm, I'm just, I've pretty much jettisoned all the Neoplatonism, you know. Oh man, it just, it just simply makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does, you know, common sense, you know. Um, unfortunately. Christianity seems to have adopted it, the Hellenization, yeah. as part of the Hellenization of the followers of Messiah in the second century. Mm. And kind of a side note, Hashem despises syncretism. <clears throat> Does he really? Absolutely. Sorry, that was sarcastic, my bad. I know. <laughs> That's it. No, the Bible speaks of the righteous spending eternity with Messiah where he is. Mm. And he will be king, Mashiach, ruling in where? Yerushalayim. The righteous will spend eternity dwelling on earth with Messiah. <clears throat> Instead of the righteous going to heaven where God is, it is he who comes and dwells with us on earth. This is a remez for the Mishkan. Ooh. Ooh, the temple. End of Beit Hamikdash. Where? What was uh, 
Shlomo HaMelech's prayer and Devre Hayamim Beit, Perak Zayin, Pasuk Yol Dalet, that you dwell. Yeah. I mean, more to the point, Hashem's response. If indeed you will keep my covenant, my decrees, then my name will reside here forever. The name that the Mashiach comes in, the name that is known as the way. And they keep saying the temple is done away with. Yeshua didn't do away with it. He never said that. While it is true he cleansed the temple of the idolatrous images, <laughs> the money changers, because think about what was on the coins. You know, images of Caesar. And even one of the Zedekim comes up to the master and says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or no? And Yeshua says, you know, show me the coin. And guess where they were when they were doing this? They were in the environs of the temple, the last place you should be with an idolatrous image. Wow. And Yeshua asked him the question, whose image and superscription is this on the coin? Wow. And the Zedekim says Caesar's. Wow. And what I really like is that the Zedekim were trying to get him to adopt their narrative. Polarize. Yes, which me and my Hurvuta have been talking about this now for the last two months now. We see so much polarization in the world. People who are so polarized on their own perceptions yep and so what does Zedekim says you know Caesar's and then Yeshua's response was render to Caesar what is Caesar's and what is God's God's yep you know just like he stayed out of the corner on in Yochanan 8 with the woman caught in adultery because it wasn't about that at all. <laughs> and they interrupted his class. Yeah. And all this was happening on earth. Messiah comes down, comes to earth and does all this. So wait, the Messiah came from Shavayim because we're going to need to be here on the earth. And not hidden away in Shemayim. Wow. <clears throat> the righteous will spend eternity dwelling on earth with Messiah. Instead of the righteous going to heaven where God is, it is he who comes and dwells with us on earth. That is what the Bible teaches. How odd that most people don't know that. It is one more pagan thing that we inherited.
And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and Hashem shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be Hashem is one, and his name is one. The very thing we recite at the end of the Elenu prayer. <laughs> then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, <laughs> prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud, oh, you know what? Take the first part of that verse and overlay it with the Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. All right. Yeah, as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from heaven. The show for the Yovel at the yeah, giving the of the Torah, getting louder and louder until Israel says, We can't do this anymore you go up there and you get the Torah and bring it down which by the way is why Hashem sent prophets because mm -hmm. that was the continuation of what we said like Hashem we don't want to hear directly from you and he's just like oh okay I see how it is <laughs> okay so you don't want to die okay so no problem yeah. All right. <laughs> you know um, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle of God is with men. Look at the imagery that Yochanan is drawing on here. Yeah. Mishkan Bamidbar. Clouds of glory. Yeah. The image of God was with us, like in the clouds. And it's like, that's the picture of Emmanuel. Yeah. I mean, it's with men and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Yeah. These words are, this, this is a big Gezerah Shalom, man, because you see this wording in Exodus. Yeah. Exodus 19. I have borne them on eagle's wings. I have brought them out of the house of slavery. It's kind of like oppressors. a... Kind of like a precursor to the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Yeah. Because that's the wings of eagles. The clouds of glory. Yeah. Because it says that the clouds stood between us and Mitzrayim, the way an eagle is between its eaglets and the arrows that people would try to shoot at them. Uh-huh. Like Yeshayahu 60, well known, arise, shine, Yerushalayim, for your light has come. The glory of Adonai has risen over you. Mm. For although the darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the peoples, on you Adonai will rise. Over you will be seen his glory. 
nations will go toward your light and kings toward your shining splendor. Um, then there's 66. This, yeah, see, Yokanon draws on this chapter too. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, pretty much the you know, the end of the chapter. Yeah, the kind of, this is Yeshiahu, uh, yeah, 66. Heaven is my throne, says Adonai, and the earth is my footstool. And I'm reading from the CJB. What kind of house could you build for me? What sort of place could you devise for my rest? Didn't I myself make all these things? This is how they all came to be says Adonai, the kind of person on whom I look with favor is one with a poor and humble spirit who trembles at my word. Those others might as well kill a person as an ox, as well as as well break a dog's neck as a sacri as sacrifice a lamb, as well offer pig's blood, as offer a grain offering as well bless an idol as burnt incense, just as those have chosen their ways and enjoy their disgusting practices, so I will enjoy making fools of them and bring on them the very things they fear. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. Instead, they did what was evil in my sight and chose what, I, what did not please me. Hear the word of Adonai, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and reject you because of my name have said, let Adonai be glorified so we can see your glory, but they will be put to shame. That uproar in the city, that sound from the temple is the sound of Adonai repaying his foes what they deserve. Before going into labor, she gave birth. Before her pains came, she delivered a male child. Who ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Is a country born in a day? Is a nation brought forth all at once? For as soon as Zion went into labor, she brought forth her children. Would I let the baby break through? and not be born, ask Adonai. Would I, who caused the birth, shut the womb, ask your God, rejoice with Jerusalem, be glad with her, all you who love her, rejoice, rejoice with her, all of you who mourn for her, so that you nurse and are satisfied by her comforting breast, drinking deeply and delighting in the overflow of her glory. For Adonai says, I will spread shalom over all, over her like a river, 
and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried in her arm and cuddled in her lap like someone comforted by his mother. I will comfort you in Jerusalem. You will be comforted. Your heart will rejoice at the sight. Your bodies will flourish like newly sprouted grass. It will be known that the hand of Adonai is with his servants, but with his enemies is fury. For look, Adonai will come in fire, and his chariots will be like the whirlwind to render his anger furiously, his rebuke with blazing fire. For Adonai will judge all humanity with fire and with the sword, and those slain by Adonai will be many. Those who consecrate and purify themselves in order to enter the, the gardens, then follow the one who was already there, eating pig meat, reptiles, and mice, will be all, will all be destroyed together, says Adonai, for I know their deeds and their thoughts. The time is coming when I will gather all nations and languages. They will come and see my glory. I will give them a sign. I will send some of their survivors to the nations of Tarshish, Pool, Lud. These are the archers, Tuval, Greece, and more distant coasts where they have neither heard of my, of my fame nor see my glory. They will proclaim my glory in these nations and they will bring all your kinsmen out of all the nations as an offering to Adonai on horses and chariots and wagons, on mules, on camels to my holy mountain, Yerushalayim says Adonai, just as the people of Israel themselves bring their offerings in clean vessels to the house of Adonai, I will also take Kohanim and Leviim from them, says Adonai. For just as the new heavens and the new earth that I am making will continue in my presence, says Adonai, so will your descendants and your name continue. Every month on Rosh Hodesh and every week on Shabbat, everyone living will come to worship in my presence, says Adonai. As they leave, they will look on the corpses of the people who rebelled against me, for their worm will never die and their fire will never be quenched, but they will be abhorrent to all humanity. And all that takes place here on earth. Yep. <clears throat> I love the the uh, passage about the the vessels being labeled Kadosh Lehashem. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really goes to show it's really on earth because it's one thing <laughs> to think we're going to be in the land, but it's another thing to think it's super important, so much so that the dishes in your home are going to be sanctified vessels. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they capture the uh, kitchen. <laughs> it's not a small thing, man. It's yeah. Deep stuff. I turned to Exodus 19 because um, this gives us another description of where things happen in this case. So in the third month after the people of Israel had left the land of Egypt, the same day they came to the Sinai Desert. After setting out from Rephidim, 
and arriving at the Sinai Desert, they set up camp in the desert there in front of the mountain. Israel set up camp. Moshe went up to God, and Adonai called to him from the mountain. Here's what you are to say to the household of Yaakov, to tell the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will pay careful attention to what I say and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you will be a kingdom of Kohanim for me, a nation set apart. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. Moshe came, summoned the leaders of the people, and presented them with all these words which Adonai had ordered him to say. All the people answered as one, everything Adonai has said we will do. Moshe reported the words of the people to Adonai. Adonai said to Moshe, See, I am coming to you in a thick cloud so that the people will be able to hear when I speak with you and also to trust in you forever. Uh, in the art scroll, it says, And they will believe in you forever. Beautiful. Moshe had told Adonai what the people had said. So Adonai said to Moshe, go to the people today and tomorrow, separate them for me by having them wash their clothing and prepare for the third day. For on the third day, Adonai will come down on Mount Sinai before the eyes of all the people. You are to set limits for the people all around and say, be careful not to go up on the mountain or even touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand is to touch him, for he must, must be stoned or shot by arrows. Neither animal nor human will be allowed to live. When the shofar sounds, they may go up to the mountain. Moshe went down from the mountain to the people and separated the people for God, and they washed their clothing. He said to the people, prepare for the third day. Don't approach a woman. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud on the mountain. Then a shofar blast sounded so loudly that all the people in the camp trembled. Moshe brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood near the base of the mountain. Mount Sinai was enveloped in smoke because Adonai descended onto it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moshe spoke, and God answered him with a voice. Adonai came down onto Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, then Adonai called Moshe to the top of the mountain, and Moshe went up. Adonai said to Moshe, Go down and warn the people not to force their way through to Adonai to see him. If they do, many of them will perish. Even the Kohenim who are allowed to approach Adonai must keep themselves holy. Otherwise, Adonai may break out against them. Moshe said to Adonai, The people can't come up to Mount Sinai because you ordered us 
to set limits around the mountain and separate it. But Adonai answered him, go get, go get down. Then come back up and you and Aharon with you. But don't let the Kohanim and the people force their way through to come up to Adonai or he will break out against them. So Moshe went down to the people and told them. And again, we have presented with the narrative that this is here on earth. <laughs> this is Hashem descending down. It's not us going to him. It's him coming to us. You keep saying it, but you say ascending, yes, and descending, atzmuth. Yep, atzmuth, yeah. <clears throat> Which is essence. Yep. Which is the same word as bones, literally like mm -hmm. flesh and bones. Yep. <laughs> Bring it down into this world. And then um, it reminds me of one of the master's parables of the tares and the wheat. Oh, yes. I'm trying to uh, remember the chapter in Matthew. Uh, three. No, this is not the parable, though. Hang on. There we go. Matthew thirteen. <clears throat> Starting around 24. Alrighty. <laughs> yeah. Yeshua put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the weeds, then went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads of grain, the, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The servants asked him, then do you want us to go and pull them up? But he said, no, because if you pull up the weeds, you might uproot some of the wheat at the same time. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers to collect the weeds first and tie them in bundles to be burned, but to gather the weed into my barn. Notice that the, the wheat is left. Which is another thing about this is that um, like you pointed out earlier that Christianity seems to think that the righteous will be taken out of the world and at least the Jewish people behind but we're forgetting one thing and that's mm. the Jewish people are righteous 
Same. We want to be left behind. See, it's all backwards. <laughs> Alien code. Yep. Um, then Matthew uh, 24, when, he's, when he speaks about, and this shall see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. Um, Wait, what about that? <clears throat> what are you asking? I think in Matthew 24, when he talks about, uh, yeah, there it is in 24 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with tremendous power and glory. He will send out his angels with a great shofar, and they will gather together his chosen from chosen people from the four winds, from one end of <coughs> heaven to the other. Here on earth. <laughs> yeah, I remember the day <clears throat> I was sitting in church and I was reading Ezekiel because that's my favorite prophet, even though I know we're not supposed to have favorites. But Parsha Vayeshev, <clears throat> Yaakov totally had a favorite, even though that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but. <laughs> or kind of oh. Whoa. okay 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 throwing it will be great earthquakes <laughs> but anyway i was reading in ezekiel and he was talking about the land <clears throat> being divided up when the temple is back and i was just like how are we gonna be dividing up the land and living in it if we're gonna be in heaven and then it hit me, oh, because we're going to come back and we're going to go to the land, like after resurrection. Like we're going to be raised up, put back in our bodies, new bodies, <clears throat> best right of him. And uh, yeah, so that was an awkward day for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just thinking about if people have never heard this information that we're sharing on this podcast, because <clears throat> there's a whole lot of it that's coming out right now and since we started but just uh if if anyone's going through the awkwardness of that just trust in Hashem <laughs> take your time uh we we Shlomo and I can talk about it now because we've we've had years of reconciliation but for new people who don't have that luxury right now uh let it be awkward and May Hashem help you process. Amen. It just really hit me to just remember that time that, you know, I I came to the conclusion that the rapture is not real and this theology is just not right, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it just doesn't line up with the Tanakh. I mean, it's. Um, yeah. 
keep trying to find stuff in the Bible that's not there. I mean, it's it's frustrating, but then it's also like, oh, because probably shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I mean, one of the problems I see is they don't overlay passages with others. Yeah. Um, they don't look for similar wording in other passages, which is I just demonstrated that here. Because I was all over the place, as you see, connecting oh, yeah. passages one after the other. Mm -hmm. I could I could easily keep this going. I could jump over to Thessalonians and Shaul's words, where he talks about, and those who are in the graves will come up first, and then mm -hmm. we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air. See, that, that's the other thing they base their rapture, the rapture theology on. Is that verse coming up in the air? But the thing is, in Zechariah, it just says, and Hashem will be king over all the earth. Those who are asleep in the, in the graves will come up. Uh, second Corinthians, first uh, Corinthians 15 50. You know, I'll show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. We shall all be in the twinkling of an eye, in the blink of an eye, bam, just like that. Man. Because here's the thing, you know, Shaul uses as a template for that, the resurrection of our master. <laughs> this is what they don't do. As our master came up out of the grave because God raised him from the, the dead. And so it will be exactly the same with us. You know, Rambam actually talks about that, right? <clears throat> about the, the Zadikim resurrecting first. Uh -huh. You know, to go back to righteousness. Yeah. Looking at the first fruits of the resurrection, those who are righteous. So, I was looking at the first Corinthians 15 52, the twinkling of an eye, uh -huh. and it really made me think about quarks, the quantum mechanics oh. of how a quark just shows up and it goes away. And so, the the phraseology of that verse is like like a quirk, like it's just gonna all of a sudden be here. I'm like, whoa, where'd you come from? Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, David Stern has uh, connects the uh, resurrection of the dead with the holy days. Good. Um, Rosh Hashanah being the first. Because we know that Yeshua, in obedience to Pesach, you know, showed us that part. But what's left is uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Hadin, then Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot. Um, 
1552 uh, at the final shofar. Mm -hmm. The shofar has multiple symbolic symbolism, including God's creation and kingship. His revelation at Sinai, prophetic warning, uh, repentance, alertness, uh, alertness, battle, Abraham's offering of Yitzhak and its connection with God's mercy, the ingathering of God's people in exile, final judgment and resurrection. First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 and Revelation 8.2. And then there's a bit of, and then some commentary. Sefi uh, Omer, First Fruits, New Testament observance, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. Although Pesach, Passover, often overshadows Sefi uh, Omer, this holiday has significance in the New Testament and is mentioned a number of times. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 shows the vital link that Sefirat HaOmer to the ministry of Messiah. As Shaul teaches the believers about the doctrine of the resurrection, he makes an amazing connection to this biblical holy day. But the fact is that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have, who have died. For since death came through a man, also, the resurrection of the dead has come through a man. For just as in connection with Adam, all died. So in connection with the Mashiach, all will be made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits. Then those who belong to the Messiah at the time of his coming. Although many read this passage as a commentary on the order of the resurrection, Shaul is actually making a technical reference to the holy day of Sephirat HaOmer. It's not merely that. Yeshua was the first to rise bodily from the grave, but that by doing, that by so doing, he is the direct fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits. This makes perfect sense as we reflect on the details of the day. There's a little bit more. Shaul quite possibly wrote this letter between Pesach and Shavuot during the season for presenting the first fruits of the harvest at the temple. Or he could have been writing it during Tishrei, which is when we're reading. Yeah. Or a parsha or. Uh, during Elul headed to Tishrei when we're reading the parasha about bringing the first fruits in, parasha Kitabo. Which, yeah. by the way, that parasha is connected to Pesach intrinsically because Baal HaTorim says, when do we bring the first fruits in the basket that we read about in Devarim 26? Or, uh, yeah, around that passage, I think it's 28, somewhere around there. Uh, but it's parasha Kitabo. Well, we bring that fruit during the week of Pesach. Mm -hmm. So we're literally reading about Pesach as we're going into Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> like it's like, 
It's crazy. Well, the thing is, based on a little research I did, that Pesach fell on the um, the fourth day of the week. Nice. In our pastors, in our master's day. And he was crucified the following day, buried the same day. So there's your three days and three nights. But what's mistaken about in Christianity is he did not walk out of that grave on <clears throat> the morning of the first day of the week. No, he walked out on Abdallah. Not. <laughs> Abdallah. Think about yeah. it. The same time Adam walked out of Ghani Den. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's got some more here. Um, first fruits of the harvest of the temple, Baikra 23, 9 through 15. Since we know that Shaul sees in the events and prescriptions of the Tanakh, prefigurative events pointing to God's later workings in history, um, 9, 9 through 10, 10, 1 through 11, Galatians 4, 21 through 5, 1. It is not surprising that he sees Yeshua's resurrection as the first fruits of the of the larger harvest to come. Verse 23, John 14, 3, uh, 19, the second half of verse 19 to 20, Romans 8, 29. Uh, on God's appointment, appointed times 55, which is a commentary he's referring to. And see Sephirat HaOmer, first fruits, the biggest 23, 9 through 14, John 12, 23 through 32, and 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. Yes, Deuteronomy 26 is the uh, Pesach reference to the first fruits basket. Yeah. You bring to Yerushalayim. And, and most people say that the Bible contradicts itself. <laughs> wow. That points more to misinterpretation. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so with all these verses that I've read, it should be abundantly clear that all of this takes place here. <laughs> you know, this this is the narrative that well, scripture well. is presenting. This, this ain't me, you know. I, I'm just applying what the sages do in the Talmud. Like, I didn't punch anybody. They just ran into my fist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... Goodness. Yeah. You're going to have to put your hands behind your back and watch your head as you're getting into the car. Uh, and not like our politicians did with Vietnam trying to fight the war with one hand tied behind their back. <laughs> Man. That's what they used to say about that. So, um, <laughs> It should be abundantly clear that these things happen here. Oh, my gosh. Man. Yeah. Although it may not matter to you where you spend eternity, and heaven or on earth, 
consider this. Your perspective of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem is affected by this. Which hints as to why traditional Christianity abandoned the biblical perspective and spiritualized the land. Jerusalem and the destination of the righteous. For reasons that are not flattering. So the next time the topic of dying and going to heaven comes up, remember that the origins of this false teaching are ultimately anti-Semitic. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> How differently would all the followers of Messiah behave toward Jews and the modern state of Israel if they truly believe that the righteous will spend eternity with Messiah in Jerusalem? the holy city, the Jewish city. Oh my goodness. You see, it really does matter. <laughs> well, that got uh, exponentially awkward. <clears throat> and I love how it just beautifully connects with the Torah portion for this week. But we got to say something though. <laughs> Because one of the things is, if you tell someone you're Jewish, they go, but oh, do you believe in the Messiah? Oh, Yeah, that's the first thing out of their mouth. And I would but, say, you know what? They are more Messianic than you are. Or we could say it in a nicer way. <laughs> <laughs> or they understand Mashiach better than you because they yeah. are not clinging to an idolatrous theology because you have made a god in your own image calm down big brother <laughs> um yes all of that but i just want to say <laughs> that um what we just read at the end of the rumination about <laughs> the followers of the mashiach yeah. Uh, and how basically it says the righteous will spend eternity with the Mashiach. So in other words, followers of the Mashiach are ones who walk in ways of righteousness. Yeah. Which is a lost concept, especially in Christianity, because if you ask what righteousness is, again, it's apart from the law. But if you do it that way, it really breaks up, you know, all of what we've been talking about this past uh, podcast. So I just wanted to point out followers of the Mashiach yeah. are people who are in Torah, you know, and they're not in Torah for just the Torah's sake. And like, this is the only thing that we do, but it's like, we truly have Imunah and Hashem, you know, and, and we follow the shepherd you know, kind of things like that. But, you know, uh, this whole, oh, but do you believe in Jesus? You know, it's just kind of like, if we define what that is, that would be a better way to approach the conversation. <clears throat> so 
that was just something I saw at the end of this rumination as you were reading it. Because yeah. when you talk about things being Jewish, you talk, talk about Jerusalem, the holy city, those aren't terms that's used in the church. No. Um, well, like he says, they're spiritualized. Yeah. Lost over. I literally heard a Christian rap song this past weekend that said, yeah, I'm the new Israel. I'm the new Jew. Like, I was just like, uh, yikes. <laughs> but he's parroting what he's been taught by his pastor, so. Oh, boy. Is there an echo yep. in here? <laughs> yep. On uh, to Torah, though. Yeah. Boy. Now, in Perky Alvon, I take it back a verse. Um, 520. 520. Any controversy which is for the sake of heaven will result in something permanent. But when it is not for the sake of heaven, it will have no permanence. Which controversy was one that was for the sake of heaven? Hillel and Shemai. Which controversy was not for the sake of heaven? Korach versus Moshe. And to your point about um, going back to last week's rumination about the great so-called Great Commission. Yeah. It's about acts of righteousness wherein I mean they they contradict themselves oh okay so you're saying to me that our righteousness can only be found in Messiah, Messiah forensically but yet when I do perform the mitzvahs of the Torah I'm not getting any righteousness at all is that what you're trying to tell me because when you guys keep quoting Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples, get them in your church, get them saved, get them to accept Jesus into their heart, that's a work. You know, to further bolster the point that you made, so... You know, those are things to think about, to consider carefully. You know, um, we need to let scripture define righteousness. We need to let scripture define holiness. Um, of course, it's hard defines who God is, you know. It begs exploration. It begs study, you know. Because once you start learning about who he is, then, you know, a lot of the other pieces will come together and it'll make a lot more sense. Mm. Um, but we can't think outside the context of Jewish thought. Because they're the ones that were given the Torah in the first place. You know, Stephen's words in 
Acts 7. You know, they were given the oracles, plural, so both written and oral. Can't have one without the other. <laughs> you know, and our master said it too, you know, whatever he says, you've heard it said. You know, he's referring to the sages, you know, the Rishonim. And he lived in the Talmudic period, by the way. To me, that's another big one. Yeah. We're reading uh, <clears throat> pre-Zedic from Rabbi Zadok this past Shabbat and the parable of the virgins with the oil waiting on the bridegroom to open the door was totally in last week's Torah portion. <laughs> About the, uh, I think it was the tribute that Yaakov was sending to Esau. It was connected to that. And it was just crazy because it was, it was basically the same parable, but it was spoken in a different way. And we were talking about how, um, Israel was only given half the oral Torah because it's upon each sage, each rabbi of the generations to present the commentary in his own words. Like, you know, how you take the source and then you cite it and then you put it in your own words. And so that's why when you hear a lot of uh, anecdotal stories or parables that it's pretty much the same information, but the details are slightly different. And so that happened to us this past Shabbat as we were reading. And we were like, wait a minute, when did this rabbi exist? Come to find out it was a rabbi who was about maybe 90 years max prior to Yeshua. Yeah. So. Wow. Crazy. Keep going. So I can get into the Torah commentary. I mean, if you want to, you can keep going. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, I feel like we just got started, you know. So. I know. Just barely. <laughs> so, uh, Parashat Vayishev, and he dwelt. The name of this week's scripture portion comes from the first line of 37.1. By Yishev Yaakov, Be'eretz Megurei, Aviv Be'eretz Kenanon. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Kenanon. We caught the eye of more than one of the sages was the contrast of Jacob settling Yashav and his father Isaac sojourning Gur. Wow, never paid attention to that. Was Jacob a settler and Isaac a stranger, a sojourner? The Jewish backwards. You talk with more, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll just let you read. How about that? <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's true. Isaac, it was Isaac who never left the land, and yet he was a sojourner. <laughs> yeah. 
It was Jacob who sojourned and wandered. Who is the stranger and who is the settler here? <laughs> wow. I mean, what were we reading in last week's portion? Jacob's all over the place. Yeah. Making Isaac. Yeah. And get this, Isaac was in basically one place. It's like, Yako, go to your father. Okay. Oh, go he's, here. Go he's, to he's right, no, 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 no. Just go right to there. Piranha, don't. <laughs> like, no, no, cold, cold, cold. <laughs> you know. But then the other thing we have to remember about Yaakov and his wanderings is all his encounters. Yeah. I mean, we did the same thing in the wilderness and we're doing the same thing today. So, yeah. <laughs> Not like we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're meant to ask these questions, you know. True. Um, Got it. Discovered the issues of dwelling and settling in a place. And how we may still be sojourners and strangers at the same time that we are settlers. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of a Christian hymn. Um, this world is not my home. Mm -hmm. In a sense, there's some truth there, but, but again, they're drawing on their rapture theology in a lot of those hymns. True, true. But Olam Hazay is not our home, yet we are wanderers and settlers in the sense that Hashem has us settling down where we're at right now. Yeah. But we're still wandering. Because, I mean, I live in this apartment, but I don't own it. It's... It's almost like it's ownerless. Yeah. People think they own it, but no, they really, really think about it. They really don't. I mean, count how many times in your life have you moved from one place to another? <laughs> I, I used to be an Air Force brat. I can identify with this part of the Parsha because when you're an Air Force brat, you go where your parents go. I lived on one base after the other as a kid, you know, as a dependent. Mm. Some better than others. Probably my favorite, though, was uh, Hickam in Hawaii, Oahu. Oh, man. I mean, I don't even know what that place is, but it sounds like my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, home to the Pacific Fleet. Mm. Um, I remember my father taking me down Pilot's Row where the pilots used to stay and the bullet holes from 1941 are still there. Wow. Yeah, it was surreal. You know, then there's the Arizona Memorial. There are other memorials on the island, you know, that commemorate, you know, Pearl Harbor. But stay with my point that I wandered I traveled a lot. And then I used to drive a uh, big rig 
all around the country. So I wondered in that respect. Good night. You know, been through a lot of the states. I, I, to be honest, that part of it I really liked. You got, I got to see the country. So in, in that respect, Yaakov saw things that Yitzhak didn't. He experienced things that Yitzhak didn't. He experienced the Sulam, the, the ladder. And the okay. angels ascending and descending. He encountered Hashem at Peniel. Mm -hmm. He got his name changed to, from Yaakov to Israel. I love Rabbi Trugman's uh, permutations on Israel. Oh, man. So good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Sheer, Song, Yishar El, Upright of Hashem, or Upright of the Mighty One. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, stuff like that. It's... The other thing about Yitzhak, he dug the wells. And he's the only patriarch that didn't have a name change. Yeah. So it seems, yeah, and also, yeah, Abraham wandered around too. Yep. So... It's like Yitzhak's right there in the middle of it all. And yet Yaakov, who is on the level of Teferet, balances out the Hesed and Gaburah. In a yeah. sense, the beauty of him wandering around. And yet still considered a settler. Well, <clears throat> this week's Parsha has a lot of sojourning in it. It also accounts of those who dwelt in the land, considered the sons of Jacob who appear far to at home, living among the Canaanites. Mm. Consider Yosef, mm. who sojourns in the land of Egypt as a result of being sold into slavery. And how the land itself seems to become inhospitable to Jacob and his sons because of famine. This is a portion about sojourning and dwelling. It is a portion of strangers and aliens. The contrast between dwelling and sojourning has been understood by many to be a contrast between this life and the next. Olam Hazeh, Olam Haba. Yeah, this life is a corridor leading into, or a vestibule leading into the great banquet hall of the Olam Haba. Yeah, there is something to that. But unfortunately, it has been used to promote a sad Greek fatalism. Maybe you know the words to the old spiritual. I just brought it up. <laughs> this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. 
The angels beckon me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Some of this kind of thinking comes from misreading the epistle to the Hebrews. In Hebrews, we read of our ancestors. I think I'll read that one from the CJB. 13 16. All these people kept on trusting until they died without receiving what had been promised. They had only seen it and welcomed it from a distance while acknowledging that they were aliens and temporary residents on earth. For people who speak this way, make it clear that they are looking for a fatherland. Now, if they were to keep recalling the one they left, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better fatherland, a heavenly one. This is, this is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also one sec <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> we can see these heroes of faith had a citizenship that was in the kingdom of messiah they were indeed strangers and sojourners on this earth where we would <coughs> where we would be remiss however is to assume that since they were sojourners that they were merely temporarily here therein lies the significance in this parsha's name this week's portion has profound messianic significance that can help us to understand our relationship to the world around us a world that is that is yet groaning for the revelation of those who are sojourners within it. Jacob sought to settle and dwell in the land that Hashem promised to him, his father and his grandfather, as an inheritance to dwell within. Jacob was supposed to settle and dwell in the promised land. Jacob also needed to learn something, and we need to learn something from him. He was also to sojourn. Immediately after we are told that Jacob settled and dwelt in the land of promise, he is presented with the most awful circumstances and calamities, the apparent death of his son, Joseph. Jacob's reaction to these circumstances is shown to us in contrast to the reaction of Joseph to the calamity of being sold into slavery in a foreign land. So th this really speaks of Mashiach ben Yosef in the gates of Rome. Christianity denies this polemic. I hear a lot of Hebrew rooters who are vehemently against this. And the reason that for that being is because they keep mixing uh, Christianity with Judaism. And it just simply doesn't work.
because that invites all kinds of misinterpretation, false teachings. Um, also, I mean, just simply leading people astray, you know, off the derrick. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about Mashiach Ben Yosef being at the gates of bleh, being at the <laughs> gates of Rome because that's Yosef in Mitzrayim. Wow. And Matthew draws on this imagery, by the way, when he says, and he quotes, um, I think it's uh, Micah, out of Egypt have I called my son. Uh, but there's another, there's a place in the Torah where um, Moshe is, uh, gives in Follow, um, follows uh, Yosef's instructions to carry his bones, his etzem, out of Mitzrayim. Hosea 11.1. One. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. I got your back. <laughs> <laughs> um. Which yeah. the bones again um, is is atzmut. At zim is bones. Those two words are, or meanings, are tied so closely together that, in a sense, they are one and the same. Yeah, because we are tasked, like Moshe was tasked, to bring the bones of Yosef out of. Mitzrayim, so we too bring the etzem, the very essence of Mashiach, out of Rome. the of Esau, out of yeah. Rome, out from yeah. under Christianity. Yeah. And present him as he truly is. Get your Jewish view of the Mashiach. Yeah. Man, this is why I do a whole class on uh, Mashiach every week. You know, I spend at least 30 minutes really extracting a lot of that because we do know the Christians have picked the right Mashiach. Like, they know it's Yeshua. And it's like, awesome. So now <laughs> let's put it in context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? um, yeah, the other thing I've come to realize in my study of this subject as well is that there, the talk or in Revelation it says, you know, come out of her, my people, from the great, from the great whore, the harlot, mm -hmm. which tends to be equated with the Catholic Church. Um, good, good night. But actually, in a more general sense, any religiosity isn't it ironic that the catholic church is likened to that when they have a whole thing known as nuns <laughs> yeah um, but in revelation is depicted the destruction of babylon the great the great harlot which yep. is 
which can be likened to the church. But the thing about it is there's a mystical aspect to that in the sense that this destruction simply means that Hashem pulls out those. Yep. That return to Torah who are willing to learn from the Jewish people. the proper identification of Mashiach. Right. This is something I thought about for quite a while. And I thought, you know, this is, it seems like this is what the rabbis are really trying to say is that the destruction of the church will come about when a remnant from the nations is pulled out. I mean, I would prefer it to be everybody because as the scripture states, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Teshuvah. All should come, return to the Torah. And here's while we're still in exile. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing about that. You too. need to make that hope a reality. <laughs> yeah. To make sure that they can see the Jewish Messiah in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're the Mashiach now. Mm-hmm. So, um, as we will learn, Joseph, the sojourner and stranger in Egypt, will rise to become the ultimate settler, a ruler. Whereas Jacob spends the intervening years simply waiting to die. As if his life was not worthy of living. In that fatalism, Jacob was not dwelling in the land as Hashem wanted him to. I mean, what do we see Christians doing? There's a spiritual laziness, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, I got my golden parachute, you know, it's ready for me to use and I'm going to be out of here, you know. When in fact, we have work to do. All the effort is going into coffee and scones, trunk or treats, Xmas gifts, you know, uh, the the little heart day in February bags that they put together. That's all the effort right there. It's like if you just take that energy and put that into actually engaging there you go but again misdirected kedusha we talked about that yeah yeah go back to hebrews 11 for a moment if you will pay attention to this passage you will learn something about dwelling and sojourning even all these Great men and women were strangers and aliens in this world. They lived lives full of action. Yeah. Not content to simply wait. Mm. They acted like citizens of the kingdom of Messiah here in this life, in this world. And what does Shaul say in Ephesians 2? For you were once strangers, foreigners. Wow. Wow brought near now yeah you should probably read that (laughs) yeah i'm going there right now 
Should be around 2.13. Yeah. Therefore, remember your former state. You Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who merely because of an operation on their flesh are called the circumcised. At that time, had no. Can you just like say sentence real quick? Because <laughs> like the whole thing with circumcision, it's not just because you got circumcised in your flesh. Yeah. There's so much more to that. I mean, it's a part of it. Yeah. But it's dude. a token of the covenant. Yes. A reminder of the covenant. That's its function. Man. But the Rambam on Genesis 17, 6 tells us that the covenant was efficacious even before Abraham performed the act of Brit Mila. So what does that tell you about the act itself? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what Shaul just said. Only reason you're called as a person who's circumcised is because you got circumcised, not because you're actually circumcised. Yeah. And then in Devarim, I believe 30, I will circumcise your heart, the Shem says. Oh, the Teshuvah section. Yeah. So continuing, at that time had no Messiah. You were estranged from the national life of Israel. You were <laughs> foreigners to the covenants embodying God's promise. You are in this world without hope and without God. But now, you, who were once far off, have been brought near through the shedding of the Messiah's blood. For he himself is our shalom. He has made us both one and has broken down the Mekitsa, which divided us. By destroying in his own body the enmity occasioned by the Torah with its commands set forth in the form of ordinances. He did this in order to create in union with himself from the two groups a single new humanity and thus make shalom. And in order to reconcile to God both in a single body by being executed on a stake as a criminal and thus in himself killing that enmity. You know, this is the, uh, the what the sages talk about with Adam, how he could have been the first Jew. Because had he not eaten from a tree, he would have kept all the mitzvot and all of his descendants would have been considered to be Jewish. Which is so funny because through Mashiach, we have the, the second Adam. <laughs> you know like so all of his children are actually jewish so like the original intent <clears throat> because right now it's just the jews and the nations yep. and so 
through conversion, you actually unite those two bodies. Yeah. But yeah, such a rich piece of uh, commentary right there. Yeah, the commentary on these verses. Um, you who were once far off and have been brought near, both Jews and Gentiles have equal access to God, the Father, through the shedding of the Messiah's blood. Ephesian Gentile believers have made a change in both their identity and religious status. Verse 13 displays imagery from the sacrificial system in Jerusalem in which the offerings would temporarily cover the sins of Israel. And on verse 14, he has broken down the Mekitsa, which divided us. This dividing wall in the temple posted the inscription, no man of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure round the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. Josephus, Antiquities of the Jews, 15, 11, 5. The Mekitsa separated Gentiles from Jews and prevented equal access to this offerings. Yet, just as the veil of the temple was torn in two when Messiah died, Matthew 27, 52, so too both Jew and Gentile are united with the Messiah and they and may enter into God's presence together, Hebrews 9, 6 through 14, and 10, 19 through 22. And verse 15, by destroying in his own body the enmity occasioned by the Torah, supersessionists have taught that the enmity spoken of here is in fact the Torah itself, which they say in the Messiah has now been replaced along with its laws and regulations. Yeshua, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, however, upholds the Torah and even predicts damnation for those who inst instruct others to willfully break it. The word enmity derives from the context of Ephesians 2, where the division between God and the Gentiles, Gentile was not only removed, but now the enmity between Jew and Gentile was also destroyed in Yeshua's body when he died for all. Wow. <clears throat> so Joseph gives us this perspective, how to dwell in this world as a sojourner, a citizen of the kingdom, a messiah, a citizen of the kingdom of Messiah does not arrive in that kingdom and in that moment start acting like a servant of the master. They begin now. Beloved, are you dwelling here as a sojourner? Are you dwelling here as a citizen of this world with a king other than King Messiah? Or just as bad, are you simply spinning your wheels waiting for the next world? So the word for the enmity that was broken down, according to the Greek, 
is alienation. So breaking up that code that we were talking about uh, from okay. the Adamic Mashiach consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what he was doing. He was actually getting rid of the corruptive code of of uh, the the Nakash is really what he was doing. They call it Zohama. Ah, uh, Zuhama, the waste. Yeah. The Arizal uses that language. Yeah. That's Ephesians chapter two, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else before we uh, land the spaceship? <laughs> oh. Well, what I like also that he does is a prayer focus for each Parsha. Uh, Bidui, confession. Mm. After praying the Shimoni Esrei, also known as the Amidah, as part of the morning prayer service, the Bidui is prayed. It is the prayer of confession. Our God, and God of our forefathers, may our prayer come before you and do not ignore our supplication, for we are not so brazen and obstinate as to say before you, Hashem, our God and God of our forefathers, that we are righteous and have not sinned. Rather, we and our forefathers have sinned. We have become guilty. We have betrayed. We have robbed. We have spoken slander. We have caused perversion. We have caused wickedness. We have sinned willfully. We have extorted. We have accused falsely. We have given evil counsel. We have been deceitful. We have scorned. We have rebelled. We have provoked. We have turned away. We have been, give, been perverse. We have acted wantonly. We have persecuted. We have been obstinate. We have been wicked. We have corrupted. We have been abominable. We have strayed and you have let us go astray. We have turned away from your commandments and from your good laws, but to no avail. But you are righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have acted truthfully while we have caused wickedness. Oh God, you are slow to anger. You are called the master of mercy and you have taught the way of repentance. May you remember this day and every day the greatness of your mercy and your covenant, kindness to the offspring of your beloved ones. Turn us in mercy, for you are the master of mercy. With supplication and prayer, we approach your presence in the manner you made known to the humble one, Moshe, in ancient times. Turn back from your fierce anger, as it is written in your Torah, in the shadow of your wings, may we find shelter and lodging, as on the day Hashem descended in a cloud and appeared to Moshe on Sinai. Hashem, Hashem God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in kindness and truth, preserver of kindness for thousands of generations, forgiver of iniquity, willful sin and error, and who cleanses. May you forgive our iniquities and our errors and make us your heritage 
Forgive us, our Father, for we have erred. Pardon us, our King, for we have willfully sinned. For you, my Lord, are good and forgiving and abundantly kind to all who call upon you. Amen. Time to come in for our landing. Moday Ani left to Mecca Adonai Elohe. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established my portion with idlers. For I arise early, and they arise early. I arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run, and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written. And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu menakalam. Asher natan lanu torat emet vekaye olam nata betochen. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha Torah. We want Mashiach now. 